Father, I am so grateful for your word. I am so grateful for your goodness. And Lord, today as we come to the scriptures together and we're going to deal with something of stewardship, it's crazy because our sexuality, our sex, and our stewardship really is what testifies to the Lordship of Christ in our lives. And I pray as we get into this word, Lord God, you would take it and you wouldn't just multiply it, but you would use it in a way to give us a paradigm shift, to see things the way you see them through your eyes when it comes to your kingdom. Not the way we see it, not the way the world sees it, not the way our opinions see it, but the way you see it. God, we want to align with you. And Holy Spirit, you're the only one who could begin to take this word and begin to do that. I pray that this will be a morning of revelation, not just teaching, revelation by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, by your grace, you would heal hearts in this house. There's so many of us that have a tough time with what we're going to speak about today because there's wounds and issues of our hearts where we mistrust you. We don't believe you to be our provider. We don't believe you to be good. We don't believe, God, that you being the owner of everything know how you want us to manage your resources and your money. We don't trust you to do that. But I pray today as we get into the word, the Holy Spirit would come and you would begin to heal hearts. You begin to open up eyes. You would show us again who you are. That God, you're good, you're faithful, you're kind, you're loving, that you'll never fail, never fail us and never fail your word. So Holy Spirit, I pray that those revelations would set us on a radical course that would change us forever, even at this point in this time today, Lord God, and your name would be glorified. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, sex and stewardship. Let's talk stewardship today. Luke chapter 16, verses one through 12. This is Jesus speaking, and let's read it together. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses, into their homes. So he called in each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I want to talk about two kingdom principles found in this parable that Jesus is telling his disciples here in Luke chapter 16. Jesus used parables to describe how the kingdom of God works. And that's exactly what he's doing here. Two kingdom principles that I want to begin to discuss this morning, and I'm going to put them up on the screen so you can see them. Number one, I want to talk about ownership versus stewardship. And number two, I want to talk about the kingdom principle that big doors swing open on little hinges. Big doors swing open on little hinges. But let's start with the first one. Let's talk about ownership versus stewardship. This parable could be a little confusing to us because we don't really understand how business and commerce worked in Jesus' time. Jesus says that in this parable, there was a rich man and then there was a manager. Now, a manager in our day and age would be like a CEO and a CFO combined into one. The manager not only took care of his master's possessions and his assets, making sure that all of his wheat and his grapes and his cattle and his sheep were fed and they were handled properly, 
but the manager was actually also expected to invest his master's money, to invest his master's resources. And every investment that the manager made back then was legally binding. So the master or the rich man would be held accountable for it. So this rich man comes to the manager and he tells him, listen, I'm gonna fire you, you're gonna be fired and I want you to begin to get your affairs in order. And the rich man finally comes to the realization that he's gonna lose his position. But not only is he gonna lose his position, but he's destroyed every one of his relationships with every other businessman in town. So it begins to dawn on him that he's never gonna be able to get a job like the one he had. He knows he's gonna end up homeless. He knows he's never gonna be able to do what he had done in the past. He wasn't gonna have a job anymore. So what does he do? He calls in all of his master's debtor and he starts just taking off huge amounts of their debt. He just takes it all off. And he's doing this to try to build relationships and friendships with all these other people that will be able to help him after he actually loses his job. Now, here's the weird part of the parable that kind of boggles our mind, right? Because the master, the rich man, actually catches the manager doing this and he praises him for it. He tells him how smart he is. He tells him how shrewd he is. He commends him, which doesn't make any sense when you begin to think about it because what he is doing is actually costing the rich man all of his money. (laughs) He's building these relationships. He's building these friendships at the expense of the master. And yet not only does the master not care, he's not bothered by it, but he thinks what the manager's doing is really smart. That part of this parable has confused me for years. Every time I read it, I was kind of like, what in the world is Jesus's point? What is he trying to really get at? And then this last week, as I'm studying through different commentaries and I'm listening to them, I got a few that began to converge. They began to speak the same thing. And they said what most likely was happening is that this manager, listen to this, was putting his own huge fees into these investments. These were large amounts of interest, but they were large amounts of interest because of his own fees. And what he's doing is he was taking his fees out of the investment, which was making the debtors really happy and and filled with thanksgiving and gratitude. And at the exact same time, it was causing the rich man to get excited because now his name was becoming better in the community and in business itself. People are saying, this guy is doing what's right. But I want you to watch what Jesus is actually doing in this parable because it is profound. Jesus is telling us and he's likening the kingdom of God and what we do with our possessions, what we do with our money to an owner and a manager type of relationship. He's saying that When you come into the kingdom of God and you become children of the Lord, this is what he says. He says, each one of you become like fund managers and you're managing, get this, someone else's money. That is a paradigm shift to the way that we think in the natural, isn't it? It's a paradigm shift of even how we think in the church. And here's the kicker, if Jesus It's true, if what he is saying is right, and it is because Jesus can't lie. If God is saying that that you're just the manager of the possessions and the money that you have, you're not actually the owner, then watch the train of thinking, because this is important. That means you can't do just what you want with it because it's not actually yours. Jesus is telling us that, listen, if you've had your spiritual eyes open to see that there is a God, you know, and there's a witness inside of your heart that the wealth that you have, that the possessions of your have are not actually your own. He says, that's been revealed to you. They're not really yours. And then this is the kicker that he's using this parable to try to say, this is where he's getting at. So he's saying, so stop acting like it is. Now I know there's gonna be someone in this room that's gonna get up and say, you know what, Pastor Michael, I. I, don't, I object to that. I, I don't think that's right. And, and there'll be people that'll come up to me and say, Pastor Michael, you have to understand, I, I earned my money. I earned my money. 
I went to college. I put myself through it. Nobody else helped me. I got my degree. I started literally in the lowest position of my field. I climbed the corporate ladder through long nights and sacrifices. It's my money. I earned this money. But I want you to see what King David says in the book of Chronicles when he's in the process of actually donating all the silver, all the gold, all the iron, all the wood for the temple of God, for the house of God. Look what he says in 1 Chronicles. And I want you to see this in chapter 29, verse 14. This is his prayer. And I want you to get it. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generally as this? Now listen to what he says. Everything. Everything comes from you and we have given you, listen, only what comes from your hand. We're foreigners and strangers in your sight as well as our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all the abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, ready for this? It comes from your hand and all of it, all of it belongs to you. David was a wealthy man. David was a king. David worked hard to be able to acquire his position, to be able to acquire his money. You remember when he had to run from Saul as he was waiting to finally be king? Do you remember he had to hide out in caves? Remember he had 400 men with him? Do you remember he had to go out even under King Saul and fight all of the battles for the Lord's army? He says, I worked, I worked to get where I am. I worked hard to have what I got. But David always recognized that all of it, I mean all of it, came by the grace of the Lord. David's saying, there's nothing that I have and there's no position that I am walking in right now that God didn't give to me from his own hands. Think about it just for a second. Just, just as you're sitting there, the fact that you're about to take your next breath, I want you to get this, is being given to you by God. The fact that many of you are healthy enough to be able to go out and actually earn a living is because God is upholding you. There's so many people throughout the world that get sick sometimes or even believers in the church and they always ask the question, why would God let this happen to me? But there's a flip side to that question that we don't think about sometimes. We live in a fallen world. That means everything and everyone is unraveling constantly, constantly. The world is falling apart. Our bodies are falling apart every single day. There are new and mutated diseases. And the real question should be, why in the world is God holding me together for so long? That should be how we're actually looking at it. Because every day, I want you to get this, is a gift from him. Okay, get this. The planet that we live on is a gift from God. He created this whole creation for you and for me. None of us would be able to make a single dime without this planet. None of us would be able to make a single dime if we didn't have a place to be able to go and work. The fact that you were born in this century and in this country and that you weren't born in Tibet in 1200 AD is because of God's grace and God's leading. Are you getting it? Everything you have has been given it from God. It's all his. God is the owner of it all. We are just the managers. We are just the stewards. And the owner of everything is commanding and telling his managers and telling your stewards that he wants us to be generous with what he gives to us with his money. He says, I want you to be generous because I am generous. That's who I am. I want you to invest it the way I would want it invested. See, if you're not radically generous with what God has given you, Jesus is actually telling us through this story, and I need you to get this, this is, this is so powerful. He's telling us that that's not just stinginess, that's not just selfishness. You ready what he's really saying? That's robbery. That's robbery. It's not just laziness, it's thievery. It's not just a lack of compassion, it's a lack of integrity. And when you really get this and you have this paradigm shift to how the kingdom of God actually works, that he's the owner and we're the steward, that he owns it all, 
that he just gives to us and he expects us to invest it the way that he wants it invested, suddenly Malachi chapter three, verse eight starts making sense. Let me put it up on the screen. And this is God. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? And then he says this, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And then listen to what he says, in tithes and in offerings. See, in the Old Testament, God who owned everything told his people that they had to give away at least 10% of all of their income. He says, I own it all and I want you to give 10% of it away. Now, we hear that and we think to ourselves, whoa, that sounds like a lot of money. But again, put it through the lenses of the parable in Luke chapter 16. What if somebody came up to you tomorrow and said, listen, I wanna hire you to manage all of my money. I wanna hire you, you're gonna manage my money. And you came back and said, okay, tell me the terms, tell me the conditions. And this is what they say. Say, I'm gonna empty my savings account I'm gonna empty all my checkings account and I'm gonna give it to you and I want you to invest it all. I want you to go out there, I want you to invest it. And then here's the deal, here's the deal. At the end of the year, you get to keep 90% of the returns. I just want you to give me back 10%. You'd be thinking, what? Where's the contract? Where's the contract? Give me a pen, I'll sign on that dotted line. Yes, I'll do that. You're telling me I get 90% of your money? and you just want me to give you back 10% of the return? Yeah, that's it. What? Who in their right mind wouldn't say yes to that? I don't even know how to invest, but I'd watch a YouTube clip and I'll figure it out. <laughs> and yet the God who owns everything, the God who gives you the next breath that's coming into your lungs, he gives you that exact same deal. Oh my gosh, we should be grateful. We should fall down on our faces and say, what a great God that we serve. But someone's gonna say back, someone's gonna come back and say, well, Pastor Michael, 10%, that's old covenant, that's old covenant. In the new covenant, God doesn't speak about any type of percentage when it comes to giving away any type of money. And listen to me, you would be right. I would sit with you and say, yeah, that's true. I, I can't go through the scriptures and give you exactly a place where it says you gotta give 10% away. But... The book of Hebrews actually tells us that we in this day and age received a better covenant than the people in the Old Testament. God has been far more gracious with us. God has blessed us far more than anybody that was living in the old covenant. We've been forgiven of all of our sins by his blood. We have his presence that dwells inside of our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a new heart. We have more revelation. We have more grace. We have more benefit. So here's the truth. We should be more gracious with the things that God gives to us than they were even in the Old Testament. Ten percent should not be our ceiling. Listen to me. Ten percent should be our floor. It should be where we start, not where we end up. Let me put this up on the screen, and I, I just wanted to get this home to you and. I want you to see this. The fact is, 10% is the starting place when it comes to the Bible describing to us the terms that God gives us when it comes to managing his money. It's the starting place. The master of the money is telling us to distribute at least 10% of his money to people in need, to the church, to anybody who's been called by him to lay down their lives and to go preach the gospel. And the question that we have to ask ourselves today, and it's a question we all have to deal with and wrestle with, is whether or not we are actually doing that. Is that something that we're following? Are we being good stewards? Are we managing his money the way that he wants it actually managed? 90% goes to you. Start with 10%. Give it away. I'm a generous God. It's who I am. I want you to follow me in that place of generosity. This is how I want you to invest it. And if not, that's not just selfishness. That's not just stinginess, get this. That's being dishonest with someone else's money. It's a dishonesty. Now I know there's people in this room that would say, you know, Pastor Michael, we're living in very hard, hard times right now. And I would agree with you. Some of you might not be able to give the way the Bible actually tells us to give, but can I follow it up with another question? And you need to be very honest with your own heart. Do you at least pray about it? Are you going home and asking God, God, would you show me how to do this? Would you give me wisdom? Would you give me leading? 
God, would you help me? I, I'm barely making my bills, but, but would you give me an increase in funds so at least I could start following what you're asking me to do, what you're calling me to do, to be a good steward over the money that you're actually giving to me, the money that is yours. Do we pray about it? If you've been saved 10 or 20 years, and, th and this is for all of us, and there's not one year where you've given away at least 10% of your income, God's income, God's money, the way he wanted you to, let me tell you something, that is not just a hard season, that is a habit. And God is saying, no, 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 I I'm pressing something in your heart. You know, before this whole COVID thing happened, before the inflation bubble, even during the years of the economic boom that we kind of walked through, do you know what the national average of churchgoers that actually gave regularly to their own church body was in percentage? Do you know what the percentage of people that were faithful in giving to their home churches were regularly? Throw, throw out some numbers, I'm just curious. Think percentage. How many do you think percentage-wise in a congregation? 20%? Well, that's a good one. 70%, you ready? 3%. That is the national average in America of the, of the, the churchgoer, the attendee that gives to the local church. And that number should not only shock us, that number should be very sobering for us, especially after reading through something like Luke chapter 16. Jesus is saying in the kingdom of God, you're either a manager or you're a steward. And he says, he says listen to me, you're not the owner. I, I love you and I care for you, but you gotta understand it all comes from me. And as the owner, I want you to deal with my money and invest it the way I actually want it invested. Okay, number two, and I want you to get this. I wanna talk about big doors swing open on little hinges. Big doors swing open on little hinges. And we're gonna to get to good news. I know this is hard for the flesh, but I promise you, we're gonna to get to something that's just gonna give you complete freedom in your heart. We just gotta get there. So let's be honest with some things just for a little while. And then, and then I'm gonna follow it up with some really good news. So just stick with me. But Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 12, and I want you to see this. Big doors swing open on little hinges. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little, and listen to what he says, can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now remember what Jesus was saying before. We are not the owners, we are the stewards. And when we don't invest the money the way God wants his money invested, again, it's not an issue of stinginess, it's not an issue of selfishness. Jesus is coming back saying that's an issue of dishonesty. You're dealing with somebody else's money in a very dishonest way. So he comes back and he says, if you've been trustworthy handling worldly wealth, listen to what he says, you haven't been trustworthy with that, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, I want to do my best to show you this incredible kingdom principle of how big doors swing open on little hinges by connecting this passage of scripture with another story in the Bible in the book of Matthew. I want to show you it through the birth of Jesus. So, so turn with me to Matthew chapter one. I'm going to read verses 18 through 24, and then I'm going to connect it to Luke chapter 16, and then we're going to unpack it all. Listen to this. It says this. Matthew chapter one, verse 18 to 24 says, now the birth of Jesus... The Messiah was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he's gonna save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they should call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up and did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now watch this, I want you to see this. Could you imagine if Joseph divorced Mary? Back in Jesus's time, an engagement was as legally binding as marriage. So when it says that Jesus was gonna put Mary away secretly, really what it was saying, the Bible is saying he was gonna give her a certificate of divorce. Could you imagine if Joseph had done that? Mary would have never ended up in Bethlehem. The three wise men would never have found them. 
Mary probably wouldn't have been able to flee to Egypt with Jesus when Herod was killing all of the children. Centuries and centuries of all types of prophecies throughout the Bible would have failed. God would have been made a liar. God's whole salvation plan would have been ruined. We read those few verses in Matthew and we kind of skip over just, just the attended consequences of what could have happened. We, we don't actually think it all the way through. What happens if God didn't actually intervene and direct Joseph's steps, right? This could have been the biggest blunder of Joseph's life. This would have probably been the biggest blunder ever in human history. Not only did Adam and Eve fail by eating the tree, but then Joseph messed it up when God brought the answer to redeem humanity. And God intervenes. He literally intervenes and he redirects Joseph. So let me ask you a question here this morning and I want you to be completely honest with your own heart. How many of you sitting in this congregation or listening to me online would say, I need direction from God right now? I am in a place of absolute confusion in my walk with the Lord. I know he's got a plan for me, an incredible plan for my life. I know he has places for me to serve in his body. I know he wants to raise me up and use influence around me, my own influence to be able to lead people to Christ and advance his own kingdom. We know all these things. We hear all these things, but there's this confusion of like, what is it? Where is God leading? What am I supposed to be doing? So I was coming in this morning and I was just worshiping God in my car. The presence of God just came down. Ever, anyone ever experienced that? You're in a car and it gets to a point, I don't know if anybody else experienced this. I'm weeping and I'm crying and I pray to God, say, you gotta stop because I'm gonna get into an accident. It is snowing out. This is not the time, Holy Spirit. We can do this later when we get to church. You just back off a little bit. I gotta drive. I gotta figure out what I'm doing. If a cop pulls me over, what am I gonna say? I'm not even kidding. I'm having this conversation in the car. And as I'm having this conversation in the car, God is pressing all these things on my heart. I was like, now, now you're doing it. I have no journal. My Bible's not open. Now you're going to speak to me. And he started pressing on my heart that there's people that are sitting in this congregation. And even those listening online, God has a calling on your life. And he wants to raise you up to even start a small business right now in the economic downturn. He's got people sitting in this room that he wants to raise up in their careers. He wants to even give promotions and give you influence over people's lives. There are people in this room that God has a calling on your life for full-time ministry. There are church planters that are listening to my voice. There are ministry leaders that are listening to my voice. There are missionaries that are listening to my voice. I remember when I first got saved and I was sitting in the upper balcony at Times Square Church in New York. I sit up there because I was so scared that the presence of God would find me because I knew he was going to convict me on something. So I'd hide in the back. I'd have my little skateboard and I'd be all ready to go. And I'm going to tell you something. If I walked out of one of those, those services and an usher came up to me and said, listen to me, one day God told me, God told me that he's going to raise you up. You're going to become a senior pastor and you're going to serve and work with a bunch of elders and their wives and you're going to shepherd about a thousand people. I would have looked them in the face and I would have laughed. I would have said, you're nuts. And then I look at other people. I said, you see what comes in these doors in New York City? These guys need to be in Bellevue. We need to get them in some physical and mental help. There'd be craziness. I'd be the last person you'd ask the pastor at church. I knew nothing about the Bible. I didn't know any references. I didn't even know where 1 Corinthians 13 said. I didn't know any of it. I didn't know what Hillsong was or who these pastors were. I had no idea. And not only did I didn't have any idea, I was scared and filled with anxiety as a young man. I was so afraid of people that when I'd walk into a deli and I'd give them a $50 bill and this happened and they gave me the wrong change back, I was too scared to ask for my change. I was so afraid of conflict. And God says that one in the back in the green sweatshirt never changes his clothes. The one that everyone thinks is homeless. No joke, they actually did. That's the one. You have no idea what God wants to do through your life. You can't even imagine it. He's not looking for your talent. You're coming to him and you're thinking, man, I don't have the talents. I don't have the scriptural knowledge. I, I don't even have the prayer life yet. How would he ever use me? And God says, I don't need any of that. I got a calling on your life. 
You have no idea what I really want to do through you. You have no idea where I want to bring you. You have no idea the glory that I want to show through you. There's some in this room that God wants to raise up to start ministries in this church so that people could be set free, so people can know the very love of Christ. But year after year goes by, and you know this is what it feels like. It feels like you just keep running up against a shut door. Boom. What the heck? I thought this was it. Boom. No, this wasn't it. Boom. I thought this was it. You know God wants to use you powerfully. You know what God wants to do something, but you're confused about it. You can't actually figure it out. And year after year, nothing really materializes. Now watch this, because it's important. Joseph was stuck and he was confused. God wanted to use him. God had an amazing plan for his life. He was going to father the very son of God. He was the one that was going to lead literally Mary and Jesus all the way to Egypt and make sure they were protected and they were kept safe and then bring them all back to Nazareth. He was the one that was going to be the leader of their home to make sure Jesus ultimately ended up where he needed to end up. He was going to be written about in the scriptures. He would be read about for centuries on end. He'd be heard about in all of eternity. God had an amazing plan in his life, but he was stuck in a place where he couldn't really understand God's direction. And he was about to make a mistake. He was about to make a decision that was going to screw it all up. And God, in his grace, overrides Joseph. Listen to this. He breaks through the confusion and then reveals to Joseph what his calling truly was. And the question then becomes, how did that happen? Because I don't know about you. I want that in my life. If I'm making a wrong decision or I'm going down a wrong path or I'm taking the wrong job or I'm marrying the wrong person, I want God to intervene and say, ah, nope, shut door, but let me open another door for you. This is the direction that I'm sending you. I want that in my life. How did that happen to Joseph? Well, the key is actually in verse 19. Let me show it to you because it's so powerful. I want you to see it. We miss this when we read it, but I want you to get it. Listen to what it says. Actually, I want to read it in the NIV. Ready? It says this, and her husband, since he was a righteous man, this says that he was faithful to the law, but he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Okay, the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. Now that means two things in Joseph's life. Number one, it means you could be righteous positionally, but it also means that he was righteous functionally. See, get this, when you come to Christ as a believer, you will never get more righteous than the day you got saved. Never. Pray all you want, read all you want, fast all you want, come to every church service that you want, but you will never be more holy than the day you got saved. God will never love you anymore for anything that you do for him. He can't stop loving you. Your righteousness is not dependent on you. It was given to you as a gift through Christ. It's Christ's righteousness that is put over us like a cloak. It's Christ's righteousness that is living inside of us. But at the exact same time, every day we have to make a decision to allow the life of Christ in us to lead us into righteous living. To lead us in living a life that honors God. And when we allow the life of Christ that lives inside us, the new desires, the Bible says he writes his law in our hearts and our minds. We have new desires. We have new hearts. When we wake up in the morning and we sense this, God is calling me here. God is asking this of me. We read the revealed will of God in the Bible and say, I want to do that. And we begin to step out in faith. We allow the life of Christ to lead us there. Do you know what Psalm 37 says? I want you to see this because it's powerful. Psalm 37, verse 23, in the Amplified, I'll put it up on the screen. Are you ready? It says the steps of a good and righteous man are directed and established by the Lord. And he delights in his way and blesses his path. Listen to what God's saying. When the life of Christ is in you and he's leading you into righteousness and you're following that path, you're yielding to him. You know what God says? God says, I busy myself to establish that person's steps. I make sure they end up exactly where they're supposed to go. That's why I love this quote from A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite quotes. You guys are gonna like this one. Let me put it up on the screen. He says this. He says, I believe that it is impossible for a righteous man 
or woman of God to make a wrong decision. Ready for this? God will move heaven and earth to get you where you need to be. I've experienced this in my life. I have tested this in my life. I had a young man who came to my office this week and he's trying to make decisions about what to do and what career path. And he asked me a question. He says, Pastor Michael, did you know that you were gonna be a pastor? And I just blurted out, I, I, so fast. I said, heck no. I just yelled it. And he was almost shocked. He was like, what? I said, if God told me that I was gonna be a pastor when I first got saved, listen to me, I would have pulled the Jonah. You could forget about it. But I wouldn't be in a ship, I'd be on a vintage Harley. And the reality is he's probably gonna catch me because on a vintage Harley, listen to me, you ride a mile, you push a while. That's how those things work. But I said, I would have tried. I would have tried. He said, well, how did you know? How did you find it? I said, it's simple. I said, I started going to church and I started studying the word. And the word of God said that I needed to be sexually pure. It was God's revealed will. It was a small hinge on a big door. The life of Christ convicted me. I wasn't being pure and the life of Christ convicted me. So I made a decision to surrender and I called up the girlfriend and I said, you know what? We're not girlfriend and boyfriend anymore. She said, well, I want nothing to do with you. And I said back, that'd probably be a good thing because you tempt me and I don't want anything to do with you either. I got a paycheck, one of my first paychecks in photography. And I made a decision that it was God's money, as he said, and I wanted to steward it and manage it the way God said. So I took 10% of it and I gave it to the church. Now in the scheme of Times Square Church, that probably gets a million dollars every week or whatever they get. I don't know, I'm not, I'm not, but that was nothing. That was a drop in the butt, but it wasn't about them. It was about walking in this righteousness. It was about living the life of Christ inside of me. I began to pick up my Bible. The Bible says I should abide in him. So I started studying it. And not only did I start studying, I started creating a prayer language so I could learn how to pray. I started writing down different Psalms. I started writing down different petitions. I started coming back with words of thanksgiving and gratitude. I put it in my journals and I put it all together so I could spend some time in intimacy with him so that I could abide in him. And then this is what I said. I never once knew what God was doing in my life. He never ever explained it to me, but I'll tell you something. He would just open one door after another and by God's grace, I would just walk through. So there I am in Times Square Church and I'm just worshiping. There I am, I graduate and I become a photographer and suddenly God says, here's another door I'm gonna open. I want you to go to Bible school. And he changed it all literally in a weekend. He literally gave me an answer that I was going to Bible school in a weekend. So I just took a step of faith and I, I went to Bible school. And for three years, I had no idea why I was there. I'm literally looking at everybody saying, why am I here? What am I doing? I have no clue what this is about. I just sat there for three years. And then finally God opened up a door for me to do an internship in Ireland. And I just jumped through the door to my internship in Ireland. Then I thought this must be where God wants me. This is what God wants to do. And I hung out in Ireland and then God redirected. He reestablished my path. He shut the door to Ireland, sent me back to the Bible school. Now I said, well, now I'm back here and I have no idea what I'm doing. Then God opened up another door, said, I want you to go to Texas and I want, to work, want you to work with a mission organization. Okay. And I stepped through that door. Then the leader of the mission organization called me, said, no, nah, we're not gonna go to Texas. We're moving everything to Colorado. We want you to come to Colorado. Okay, and then I just stepped through that door. Then I'm in Colorado. I'm working with a mission organization. I'm flying around the world, and there's this agitation in my spirit that something's not right. So then I fast, and I pray, and I talk to the leader of the organization, and then suddenly another door opens. He says, oh, maybe you don't belong in the mission organization. We're planting a church. Why don't you come be a youth pastor? Okay, and I stepped through that door. One door, after another door, after another door, after another door. And then people don't know this, but in 2015, God opened up a very strange door for my wife and I. He asked us to lay everything down. He said, I want you to put ministry down. I want you to put serving down. I want you to put it all down. I remember thinking to myself, what? And I sat down with the senior pastor of this church, the executive pastor, Beth, and myself in the office. And they said, listen, we need a three-year commitment from you. We need three more years. And Beth and I looked at each other after our prayer times and we looked back and we said, we can't. At that point, we feel like we'll be in disobedience to God. And I actually, remember I looked at Pastor Gary and I said, Pastor Gary, you gotta understand, I don't got another branch that I'm swinging to. My photo career is over. I can't start that up again. And ministry, according to what God is doing, is done. And we stepped through that door of just mystery. Months, 
not knowing what to do. And we, you're pregnant with Max and thinking in my mind, we need health insurance. So what am I doing, right? I'm online Googling about Amazon and FedEx because I'm like, I could get a good job there. I could get insurance and my baby will be taken care of. And I'm literally doing that. And then one day, and, and here's the crazy part. Every time money came our way, and my wife will attest to this, we still, by the grace of God, made the choice that it was his money and we gave 10% of it away the way he wanted it managed. I had no idea how we were gonna take care of our family. I had no idea what we are gonna do. Beth, and don't, let me say this, it was not easy. People look at me and say, well, Pastor Michael, no, Pastor Michael had a screaming fit. Pastor Michael cried like a baby. There was a time in a cornfield in Illinois, I went out with a baseball bat and me and the corn, we just had to have it out. You think, I know what it is to be human. Don't look at me and think I'm superhuman. I know the struggle. And I remember we'd say, no, no, no. We're just gonna be faithful with what God has told us to do. We're gonna walk in righteousness. And then the craziest thing happened. We get a phone call. Pastor Gary Wilkerson calls me. The elders call me right after him. And they say, we want you to come back to the church. But this time, we want you guys to come back as senior pastors. Can I be honest? And I'm not saying that you need to do this, but in my life, I've never handed anybody a resume. God has just always directed our paths. He opened up doors, but big doors swing open on little hinges. Jesus says, if you'll be honest with, and manage my money the way I want you to, I could put even greater things into your hands. It's the small hinges that open the doors. We want God to direct us. We want open doors into our calling or our next business venture. But those doors only open when we walk in righteousness. When we do the small things that God is calling us to do in his word. And can I say this? This, this is amazing. I want you to get it. You won't have to find God's will for your life. Listen to me. It will find you. It will find you. In fact, can I put this up on the screen? This is something I didn't put up, but I want you to see this. And I want somebody in this house to write this down because I want you to get it. The goal of knowing and walking in the will of God, get this, is not finding out where God wants me to be or what God wants me to do or who God wants me to marry. Are you ready? But if, if I'm walking in righteousness, that's how the will of God finds you. We pray, God, reveal your will to me. We pray, God, bless this new ministry that I'm going to begin and that I'm going to start. We pray, God, which college do you want me to go to? Which job do you want me to take? And God comes back and he says, no, no, no. Be faithful to manage my money the way that I want you to, and I will establish your steps. I will get you where you are supposed to be. Jesus says, if I can't trust you to manage my resources the way that I've actually asked you to invest them, then I can't trust you to take care and lead my people for my glory. It's more connected in our walks with God. It's more connected in the kingdom of God than we realize. So here's the question, and I'm gonna close with this. You ready? And this is important. So how do I finally manage God's resources better? Because we've all heard messages like this, and I guarantee we're all gonna go back and go back to the same habits where the reality is we think the money is ours and we make decisions according to what we think is ours and we're not following what the owner has told us to do. So how do we manage God's resources better? Well, you ready? I want you to see this. We don't give the way Jesus wants us to, you ready? Because we lose sight of the gospel. That's the key. We're afraid that if we give the way God wants us to, we won't have enough or we might end up in a bad spot because we think our money and our jobs is our provider instead of God. Paul spoke to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And he was trying to get an offering together for the poor over in Jerusalem. And he's talking about the Macedonian church who already gave their offering. 
And he said, they gave way above and beyond what they were able to give. And then he starts challenging the church. He says, I want you to give like that. I want you to manage God's money that way. And he starts challenging. And then he comes back and he says this. He says, but I don't want you just to give out of compulsion. He says, I want you to give because of the love that's flowing out of your heart. And then he tells them how to stir up the love inside of them so they can begin to give the way God desires them to give. And he says this, he says, think about, that's exactly what he says. Think about Jesus, who although he was wealthy, emptied all of his wealth and became poor so that you might become rich. Paul is saying, think about the gospel. Dwell on the gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel. Apply the gospel to your heart. He says, this is how you finally end up becoming the steward that God always wanted you to be. Oh, think about it. Jesus gave up all of his wealth. He gave up all of his glory. He made himself absolutely poor so he could come down to the earth and he can make a way that we would now become the very children of God so that God could be our father, so that God could be our provider, so that God could be our protector. And if he emptied himself just to make us his children, how much more will he care for us now that we are his children? If he emptied the savings account and gave up everything just to get us in the house, how much more now that we're in the house that he'll take care of every one of our needs as we follow and we obey and we're good stewards managing his money? See, that's what you gotta think about. I should close, but can I close with one more, one more point? All right, let me just do this real quick because I know there's people in here and you're scared. You're terrified to give away money like this. You're terrified to walk in this type of generosity because you know you don't have a lot. And I always get mad at God when I have to preach a message like this because I know who ultimately ends up giving it and I know who doesn't. And I don't know because I check tithing reports. I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't know who ties what in this church. I've never actually looked at it. And by God's grace, I hope I never will. I don't wanna know because I don't want you swaying things in the church because you give some type of money because in reality, it ain't your money. It's his money. So he gets to call the shots. It's not any big giver in a church that gets to decide. It's the Holy Spirit that ultimately gets to decide. So I don't look at reports. I don't look, I don't know who ties. I just know in my heart what normally happens is that the people that are really struggling, they begin to give everything that they got. And then those that actually have an abundance and an overflow, they listen to a message like this and it goes in one ear and out the other. So I want to encourage those that are in this place who feel scared to trust God, to make this step of faith, who are having a hard time to believe that they manage and steward God's wealth and God's, and God's money properly, that, that God will always be a provider, that, that he's already proven it through the gospel, that he's always going to make a way. Let me show you something I was reading this week, and I want you to get it, because this is a quartermaster in the army, a quartermaster that got saved. Now, hear me on this. A quartermaster is the person that gets together all the supplies for the mission. He decides how much food is needed for the soldiers, how much water they're going to need in the desert. He decides how much tankers that they're going to have to send in. And this quartermaster that got saved sat down after he was reading the Bible and he was studying through the book of Exodus and he thought it'd be a fun exercise to try to figure out how much food and how much water the Israelites were gonna need for 40 years wandering in the desert. He thought it'd be fun to figure out how many two to three million people were actually gonna need. And listen to what he wrote, because it is profound. I want you to get this. It says, according to the quartermaster general of the US Army, are you ready for this? Moses would have needed 50, 1,500 tons of food each day. Each day. To bring in that much food daily would require two freight trains each a mile long. I'm telling you, there's days that I prayed over this church where I feel like we don't have the funds, we can't, and God reminds me, each day, 1,500 pounds of food. Two freight trains a mile long. 40 years, I brought it out of nothing. Then listen to this. Then he says this. In addition, the people would have also needed firewood for cooking the food. It would have taken 4,000 tons of wood and a few more freight trains each a mile long. And then he says this. Listen to this. This is crazy. Beside this, they required water. If they only had enough to drink and wash a few dishes, listen to this. It would have taken 11 
million gallons each day. Each day. To supply each or to supply such an enormous volume of water, listen to this, it would require a freight train with tank cars 1,800 miles long. And we're sitting here thinking, will God help me pay my rent? God says, I had to take care of two or three million people in the desert 40 years. And I get this, and they were in the old covenant. Do you understand? They were sinning and worshiped pagan gods, and I had no legal obligation to take care of them. I did that out of my mercy. You have been bound in a legal covenant where I am going to bless you because of Christ. I can't not not bless you. And even when you make mistakes, I'm still going to take care of you in this covenant. You think I can't provide for you as you take a step of faith and you manage my money the way that I've called you to manage it? And that's when Malachi comes in. Malachi says this, this is amazing. He says, test God. God says this, test me and see the blessing that I'll pour. See what I begin to do. Let me be your provider. Let me be your provider. Let me be your father. Stop pushing me off. How many of you have had fathers who wanted to pay bills or take care of you and you thought, no, 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 I gotta do this myself. So you never take the money from your family, right? And then you struggle until it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I really need that check. And you go and find daddy. That's what God is doing. God's saying, why don't you let me take care of that? Why don't you let me be provider? Why don't you let me walk this out? Manage my money the way I want you to. Walk in those faithful steps of righteousness and let me direct your path. And instead of letting God do it, we're like, no, 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 I'm gonna do this myself. I'm gonna be my provider. I'm gonna figure it all out. I'm gonna get it all together with my own resources, my own ideas, my own, my own ways of doing it. And God is saying, just like a father with a son, no, come, come, test me in it. See if I don't take care of it. See if I don't provide. Springs Church, we're not the the owners of anything. We're just the stewards. And big doors swing open on little hinges. When we recognize that and we walk in that, God says, that's when I could begin establishing your walk and and your way. I could begin building it. And if you're having a hard time trusting me, God comes back and he says, apply the gospel to your heart again. If I emptied everything to make you just my children, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Just be faithful as my stewards. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.